Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with your special NXT Heat Wave edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again with a bonus episode for you this week as we break down everything that happened Tuesday night on NXT Heat Wave, a special television show airing in the normal NXT time slot. Why are we doing this show separate today? Well, look, Heat Wave itself, sure, it was relatively important, but we have a loaded week ahead, of course, with AEW all in coming this weekend. So we already have your WWE episode in the books from Tuesday. Of course, we're dropping NXT on you this Wednesday. We're coming back Thursday with your AEW All-In Ultimate Preview. And this weekend, we will have your AEW All-In Instant Analysis. So you're not going to want to miss any of that. I wanted to make sure NXT got its own time to shine, just like we make sure AEW has its own time to shine when NXT has its own premium live event. And we're glad to bring you this bonus edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast this week. There was an initial plan to also discuss the results of New Japan's G1 Climax tournament on this podcast. Unfortunately, the week completely got away from yours truly. I was unable to watch the final three matches of the G1, the semifinals, and of course the final that crowns the briefcase holder for that G1 Climax. And therefore, if I didn't watch the matches, I can't review them. I can't tell you what I thought about them. So we will save that for the future. Unfortunately, with everything that's going on in professional wrestling right now, obviously not just this week with All In, but next week with WWE Payback and AEW All Out, it may be difficult to fit that in, but I'm going to see if I can get NJPW on next Wednesday's show in this same spot. I promise you, I will do my best. As we kick off today's show, the reminders, you know them, you love them. You probably don't love them, but at least you know them. First, on this podcast, it is important to remember that getting over is all about defied. So please do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us those five-star ratings on Apple. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Please also follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. But don't just follow us. Please don't forget to retweet, like, and share our tweets. That stuff is super important to helping grow all of our followers over there. Please also remember that here on Getting Over, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because just for $5 a month or $50 for the entire year, you can become an official Getting Overhead. Visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You will get bonus audio, news posts, and your contributions will directly support the continuation of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Okay, enough with the intro. Let's get into this NXT Heat Wave recap. I got to tell you, normally I have some big over, you know, looking statement about what I thought of NXT. I don't really have that this week. It was just a solid show from start to finish. It is shows like NXT Heat Wave where the talk of Shawn Michaels being a legitimate contender for Booker of the Year really rings true. Because you look at this episode, and I had some problems. It wasn't perfect. There's, you know, guess what? There's never going to be an episode of wrestling television, whether it's SmackDown, Raw, Dynamite, Collision, or NXT, that is perfect. I'm always going to find something 
that bothers me, whether it's a complaint, whether it's a nitpick, whatever the case might be, wrestling's never going to be perfect. However, this was pretty damn close. I mean, there was one or two segments that I had an issue with. Largely, though, what was promoted for the show delivered, and that's pretty much all you can ask for when it comes to a television special. So as I said, let's dive into NXT Heatwave. It opened with a D'Angelo family pool party. And I got to say, it just pops me how they always have one of these pool parties for the NXT Summer TV special. And it's always different every year, yet somehow it's at the same pool. And I assume, and I really should be asking NXT talent this at some point when I interview them, but it just feels like such a collegial atmosphere where they all end up staying at like one or maybe two apartment complexes in Orlando. And I think it's the same pool every single year that they utilize. So I have to assume it's one of those complexes. And I'm wondering now that I'm thinking about it, do they like have a deal with the complex where like talent joins the performance center and they get them in their apartment at a discounted rate? And hey, but we also are going to tape X, Y, and Z from here over the course of the year. Is it random? Do these people not actually live at this apartment complex, but they still tape there because it's one that they made an agreement with? I'm rambling, but it's one of those things that's always been a curiosity of mine. I just always forget to ask talent about it. So I'll make sure to do that in the future. But let's actually get into the show. So we had Trick Williams against Ilya Dragunov. That kicked things off. Trick got a brand new entrance that I got to tell you at first, I really didn't like it because his old one was a banger. But the crowd starts chanting, whoop that trick in the appropriate points. And Booker T starts punctuating it with what? Yeah. That's right. And things like that as it's going on. And I'm like, holy shit, this theme really works for Trick. They need to add some of those elements to the track itself. And then I think this guy is going to have a banger new entrance. But credit to the crowd for jumping right on it immediately. And credit to Booker for putting it over on commentary. He was absolutely hysterical at the start of this show. So Trick ate a German suplex at ringside later. He chopped Ilya so hard, the crowd literally jumped to its feet when he did it. Then he drilled him with a pump knee that got the exact same reaction and busted Dragunov open hard way. Dragunov hit a pair of beautiful DDTs, but Williams caught him on the ropes for an avalanche Uranagi and a 2.9 false finish. Ilya caught Trick's awful roundhouse kick finisher. He countered that into a German suplex, a powerbomb, and a falling forearm for another false finish. Then he hit the forearm falling from the top rope for the win in, look, I can't even believe I'm saying it to some degree, but it's true. It was a straight banger with Trick Williams. Ilya then gave Trick a nod after the bell. Uh, They got a standing ovation from the crowd. And I got to say, both guys looked like they beat the ever-loving shit out of each other coming out of this match. (laughs) Big meaty man slapping me. (laughs) I'm not really sure how many times I need to say it. Dragunov is one of the best wrestlers in the world. This was exceptionally wrestled, especially given Williams is still a neophyte. I mean, this guy has only been wrestling since 2021, and he came into the Performance Center out of, I believe, being a South Carolina football player. So this guy had no experience, and here he is putting on a high-quality match with Ilya Dragunov. Was it perfect? Of course not. Trick is still learning. He's literally in developmental. But Dragunov is so damn good, there were large stretches of this match where you could barely tell that Williams wasn't like a full-time professional. As I said last week, Trick needs a new finisher. This slow developing kick is weak as hell for a big man like him. And the pump knee that he delivered was far better by direct comparison. Just use that. And then you look at Ilya's finisher, 
And he was using Torpedo Moscow for all these years. Now he's doing this falling forearm. It looks kind of cool, but it needs a name. So they got to get on that. Anyway, this match was fantastic. Easily Trick's best match. No surprise given Ilya was the opponent. But Williams looked like a star here. I wanted another 10 minutes of it. The crowd was incredible as well. I actually think I'm at four stars A- minus and four slabs of beef, which was probably the ceiling for this match. And yet, they reached it. There's a lot of beef out here. And I'll tell you what, if I rewatched this match, there's a chance I even go another quarter star higher. That's just how impressed I was with the work Williams did and the way Dragunov, I don't want to say carried him, but led him to success uh, throughout this entire match. Wesley confronted Dragunov backstage, talking his talk about beating Carmelo Hayes and becoming the new NXT champion. He said clearly he'd have to go through the Mad Dragon once he wins the title, and then he welcomed that challenge upcoming. It remains weird to me how Wes lost like one match and suddenly developed a small man complex out of nowhere, despite the fact that he had a really long title run with dozens of defenses. Trick dapped up Mello backstage, saying his singles career isn't off to the start he wanted, but he was confident in Mello. Hayes pointed out that his reign didn't get off to a great start either because some blamed Williams for him being able to successfully defend the title against Dragunov. Trick then grabbed the title and took a little bit of a longer look than you would think looking at it before handing it to Mello. He dapped him up again, and it definitely seems like they're teasing something in the future for Hayes and Williams. But let's just hope that the entire deal stays friendly because it's been so far so good with them splitting on screen when it comes to wrestling but remaining friends behind the scenes. So we got the NXT Championship match, Mello against West. This was obviously the main event. Hayes' entrance had Lee's jersey being burned before it was put out with water, referring back to the TLC Waterfalls line drop from the promo last week. Vic Joseph pointed out that this was the first match between two black men for the NXT title, which is remarkable and honestly something that NXT should be proud of, not just in a vacuum of it happening, But if you actually look at the entire episode, the representation on NXT Heatwave, I found to be pretty damn impressive. Uh, There was tons of choreography early with a standing Spanish fly highlighting it. You guys know I'm not a huge fan of that to start a match. Mello hit a fadeaway. Wes hit a corkscrew. Mello countered cardiac kick into a lifted cutter and his first 48 for a near fall. Hayes then hit a no-look reverse springboard DDT on Wes through the announce table in what was a ridiculous spot. Never seen that before. Mello missed nothing but net. West came back with a cardiac kick, but Mello rolled away from a cover attempt. West then tried a tope suicida through the corner, but he tripped on the bottom rope and just face planted onto the floor with his head kind of touching the bottom of the barricade. Now, it looked super gnarly what happened. And the barricade had like a, not an indentation, it was pushed off of its connection. And I think it was supposed to be done on purpose with him missing the Tope Suicida, but going headfirst into the barricade, like in a kamikaze dive type of situation. Instead, he didn't do that, and he face-planted on the floor, but the effect of it was still the same. Unfortunately, it brought the crowd down because it scared them that he was seriously injured by the way the botch kind of happened. If it had gone as planned and he went like headfirst into it like a torpedo, then the finishing sequence would have remained hot. Anyway, going back to what happened here, it was gnarly. Uh, Wes barely got into the ring at 9.9. Mello shook his head, telling him, dude, don't even get in the ring. Like, just take the count out. You don't look good. 
Uh, but, you know, Wes crawled in. So Melo jumped to the top rope and hit nothing but net for the win. Now, I already mentioned the finishing sequence and what happened there. It just it took it down a notch from what it otherwise would have been if he didn't have the botch in that moment. The booking was interesting, though, and it seems like Wes is kind of in the middle of a heel turn. But the gumption that he showed coming back in the ring, that was babyface stuff. Wes took a beating from bell to bell. It was a really impressive showing from both guys and a more than worthy main event for NXT Heatwave. It felt like something was left on the field, so to speak, where they could do better if they were given more time on a larger stage. And maybe that was the point. But Melo did win this one squeaky clean. Wes really shouldn't have a case for another opportunity anytime soon. And again, this was just a fantastic match that was enjoyable from bell to bell. Four stars and A minus for this as well. And really, if you compare it apples to apples with Dragunov and Trick, you can make an argument that Dragunov and Trick was the better match, which brings up a really interesting conversation. Who has a higher ceiling, Trick Williams or Carmelo Hayes? And I think initially you're saying Silver King, that's a stupid question. Obviously, it's Carmelo Hayes. That might be true. But if you look at both guys and you look at Trick's relative inexperience, you realize Trick is actually better on the mic than Melo. You realize Trick, due to his size largely, may have more of a presence than Melo, also has more of a unique look than Melo does. And you can start to kind of contextualize or draw comparisons between these guys and other duos that we've seen previously. I think for a while, the comparison that was most natural here was Shawn Michaels and Diesel, Kevin Nash, with obviously Melo being Shawn Michaels and Trick being the Diesel. And, and maybe that is exactly what they're going to be, especially if they remain in this role, even though there's a shift right now, of course. But if they get called up to the main roster and it's Mello and his best friend or Mello and his bodyguard type of deal, then Sean and, and Diesel makes the most sense. But another way to compare them to wrestlers of the past would actually be Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins, where Hayes is the Rollins, which you're talking about a top guy, a main eventer, one of the best wrestlers in the world, depending who you ask. But Trick is the Roman, the guy who starts out rough around the edges, the guy who needs to grow into his character, both in ring and on the mic, has to figure all of this stuff out. But ultimately, due to his size and due to that innate ability that just needs to be uncovered, ends up having an even more successful career from a star power standpoint. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with these guys over the years. And one of the great things about NXT is that it gives us that early look into their development and we can see how this all transpires in the future. But I got to tell you, going into NXT on Tuesday, if you told me, hey, Silver King, you're going to come out of that and you're going to compare Trick Williams to Roman Reigns, I would tell you, you're freaking crazy. And I'm not making that comparison. I'm not saying he's there now. But the fact that he was so impressive against Ilya Dragunov that we can say, hey, you know what? There's something there with this guy. Trick Williams, he's definitely not just a sidekick. Trick Williams has it. Now we're entering a different conversation about this guy. And look, it's Dragunov, right? And he is incredible. And it seems like no matter who he works with, he gets like a four-star minimum match out of them. So in two weeks, Trick could come in and fight Dijak and have a shit match. And we say, ah, yeah, you know, maybe we were getting a little bit in front of ourselves there. But again, I, I want to restate this. The guy just started wrestling in 2021. 
it's been less than two years and he's already this good. What's he going to look like three years from now? That's the crazy part, but no doubt about it. These two matches that I just mentioned, the opener, Trick and Ilya, Mello and Wes being the main event, they were the standout on the show. They bookended the show. And going back to what Vic Joseph talked about with it being two black men in the main event, three black men were involved in the two biggest and best matches on this card. And I think that's a huge step for WWE, both in the present and going forward in the future as well from a representation standpoint. And by the way, all this praise for Trick and Mello, I don't want you guys thinking I'm overlooking Wesley because he's been incredible during this singles run. Right now, he's in a position from a storytelling standpoint where we don't exactly know what's next for him, but the character work is getting better by the week. The in-ring wrestling has always been superb, and he's doing exceptionally well in the role they're giving him. So we got great stuff from Wes, great stuff from Mello, great stuff from Trick, and obviously Dragunov. I've said it once, I've said it a million times at this point. Guy's one of the top five wrestlers in the world right now is a legitimate argument. It's not an argument that he's one of the top 10 wrestlers in the world, as far as I'm concerned. With all of that, let's go to the rest of Heat Wave. Uh, we had Dragon Lee and Lyra Valkyria against Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio. Mustafa Ali interrupted Rhea and Dom having fun in the locker room, suggesting he break a leg, literally. Dom said he didn't care about representing NXT, and Ripley threatened Ali, so he made a remark, like a sexual type of remark, and dipped out really confident. Dom and Dragon had a good sequence early in the match. The women had a standoff talking shit. Lyra hit a springboard crossbody on Dom and a hurricanrana on Rhea. Lyra and Rhea had a great sequence. Uh, Dragon hit a hanging double stomp and a Liger bomb for a broken fall. Ripley then caught Valkyria trying a hurricanrana outside and swung her into the barricade. Suddenly, Raquel Rodriguez runs out, pulls Ripley off the apron, dragging her backstage. The referee has apparently no idea that this is going on, even though he's not knocked out and can easily turn his body to the right and see them, you know, wrestling and fighting outside, but he decides not to look. Uh, this all happening as Dragon caught Dom with Destino for the win. The chemistry between Ripley and Valkyria, I'm telling you guys, it's off the charts. That could lead to something really special one day, be it a tag team, be it a main event feud on Raw, you know, once Valkyria gets called up and develops a character, she's still a couple years away from that, probably. But there's something with both of them that is special. It's really cool. Uh, not so much with Dragon and Dom, though their part of the match was totally fine. And we got the exact finish that we expected last week when we previewed this. I could definitely see Dominic, Ali, and Dragon Lee at no mercy in a triple threat with Dom dropping the title there, maybe without being pinned. And the other two maybe would then feud in the coming months once he gets out of the picture. Nathan Frazier interrupted Tyler Bate while he was meditating. Bate put him over as the true Heritage Cup champion. So Frazier asked him to be a second and promised that he'll get a shot at the cup as soon as they get metaphor off their backs. Bate agreed. Nice quick segment. So we got into the Heritage Cup. Frazier against Noam Dar. Frazier held up and didn't slug Dar when the bell saved him at the end of round one. Daba Kato came out and chokeslammed Bate onto the ring apron during the commercial break with Dar folding Frazier over for a pinfall in round two. Then in contrast to round one, Dar delivered a cheap shot to Frazier after the bell in round three. That was after Frazier came up short of a fall on a really exciting sequence. That really should have been like a DQ or like a point deduction or something, but I guess it wasn't. Uh, Dar then hit the back elbow for a near fall in round four. Frazier bounced back for a superplex into final cut for the fall, tying it 1-1. All but 30 seconds of round five was in commercial. Frazier took out Dar and Oro Mensa with a cannonball outside. 
Lash Legend held Frazier's leg, preventing a fall as the seconds ticked away. Dar then had a great reversal of a springboard inverted DDT into a grapevine. Frazier kicked Mensa off the apron into the metaphor women. Then he missed a Phoenix splash with Dar catching him with Nova Roller to win the Heritage Cup two to one in round six. I was legitimately surprised by this result. Frazier was doing well with the cup and was deserving of having something like that given all of his work of late. Instead, he won the cup without beating Dar and then lost it back to Dar head to head. What exactly do you do with him now? Like, yeah, you could put him in the North American championship picture, but that seems quite crowded as of right now. All that said, look, the cup works with Dar because it's been made part of his gimmick, but I fail to see the smarts in booking it like this and having Frazier come out of the whole situation never actually beating Dar. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe it'll make sense in the future. But in the moment, it was kind of tough to sink my teeth into. Uh, I went 3.75 stars B+. Damn good match. But was it anything extremely notable? I wouldn't say it's anything extremely notable. I should also note, since I'm doing the individual match ratings and grades, I gave uh, the mixed tag team match, Dragon Lee, Lara Valkyria, Rhea Ripley, and Dominic Mysterio, 3.5 stars, just by means of comparison, in case anyone cared. Uh, Metaphor, were celebrating with champagne later backstage when someone delivered a message to Dar from the Heritage Cup Committee. I didn't even know that existed. It announced that there would be an eight-man global tournament beginning next week to determine a number one contender for Dar at no mercy. Dar basically celebrated this because he didn't have to defend the cup for five weeks. It was actually a great backstage segment, though it was a weird way to announce the tournament given all the other options that existed. It also would have been cool if they went into the match knowing that a tournament was coming at the end waiting for the winner. I thought that would have been a nice touch. Uh, I'm curious to see who's going to be in the tournament. There's tons of international talent in NXT, so I'm assuming it's just going to be people who are already on the show. But it would be cool if they brought in some people from the outside just for single matches. They probably won't do that, though. Uh, Tiffany Stratton opened hour two with her normal promo, saying she'll go down in history as one of the best NXT women's champions of all time, better than Bayley, Asuka, Becky Lynch, and Charlotte Flair. Immediately, it went off in my head that Becky never won the NXT women's title. Gigi Dolan interrupted talking shit, so Tiffy cut her off and shot her down. Gigi got the crowd chanting about Tiffy tapping out. Then Kiana James entered. She demanded a title match. Next was Blair Davenport making her case with the others pointing out that she got her ass kicked in a convenience store. Finally, Roxanne Perez correctly pointed out that she beat Blair at Great American Bash. And if anyone should get a championship match, it should be her. Then she walked into the ring and just punched Stratton right in the face and the women brawled. Later backstage, Stratton said the Twitter trolls got to her. And yes, Lynch was never actually NXT Women's Champion, but Becky is irrelevant to her. Now, I wasn't sure if she was referring directly to Becky tweeting, But Becky did tweet about this. I guess she was watching NXT or it is a scheduled feud that they're doing. But she tweeted about it and it's like, I'm not NXT Women's Champion yet, suggesting maybe she would go to NXT fight and win the title. Tiffy confirmed that the other women would be involved in a fatal four-way number one contendership. That kind of ended that promo. So the only ones with title cases out of this entire group are Davenport, who actually holds a four and one record since June, and Perez, who beat Davenport clean at the last PLE. Dolan and James being out there at like 500 records wanting title shots was ridiculous given their booking. If you want to build both of them up to be in a a number one contendership match, have them win matches on TV. Dolan, my last memory of her is losing. James too. That said, 
These four should make for an interesting fatal four-way match. I got to believe Dolan is ultimately the winner to keep Perez away from the title picture and Dolan's the only other face involved in the match. Beyond that though, Stratton's title reign, I got to say, it's been immensely disappointing so far. The Valkyria match was extremely strong, but it feels like she's done nothing of substance since. The second match with Thea Hale, really disappointed in the finish, and her promos have not improved at all when she's in front of people as champion. The backstage promo, when she's able to hide backstage and just memorize memorize lines and recite them, far better than what she does in the ring. But unless Becky is showing up in NXT, the call out of her saying she's irrelevant to her, that was really odd. Then if you do have Lynch come down to NXT, look, you can always do an interference or disqualification or whatever the case might be. But I mean, if Becky needs something to do between the Trish Stratus feud and presumably getting built up for Rita Ripley at WrestleMania, spending a couple months as NXT Women's Champion, I gotta tell you, would not be the worst thing. You get that belt on Raw, you have NXT talent come on Raw and actually have matches up there. I mean, you wanna talk about saving the women's division a little bit and giving the women something to do, especially if you're not gonna wrestle Ripley on Raw. By the way, I should note, Ripley's like two best women's matches since becoming champion have been on NXT against Lyra Valkyria. Just want to say that. But if you're not going to wrestle Ripley on Raw, get Lynch on there with the NXT title and have her fight whomever. I think it would be great. We'll see if it's real or if it's just a little bit of a tease that they did on NXT. Baron Corbin fought Von Wagner, or at least was supposed to fight Von Wagner. Corbin attacked during Wagner's entrance. He was wearing some strange fire gear that was like a mix of Bam Bam Bigelow and Harlem Heat. Corbin mostly dominated at ringside, but Wagner got pissed when he picked up Mr. Stone. He went to table Corbin through the announce table when Braun Breaker flew in completely off screen, jumping over Corbin's back to do like a lariat spear. And he just rocked Von Wagner. This guy just backplanted right on the uh, ringside area. Also, Breaker was wearing a tank top that read best spear in the business. Absolutely no argument for me there, but it was weird for that to randomly be on a shirt. So anyway, Corbin has now been involved in a double countout and a match that never started in his last three bookings. Maybe the idea was for Gable Stevenson to be in the Wagner spot and this to become a triple threat feud with Breaker always the plan to be that third guy. That would make sense given the booking. Now, in terms of what they're actually doing, I will say. <laughs> Reinforce the ring post. The beef's going to be flying tonight, gentlemen. There's going to be some beef flying when these three get in the ring together. And I mean, you know what Booker T wants. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. And it seems like that's what these guys want as well. Excuse me. I just, it's been a long time since we've played some of these meaty sound drops and we have an opportunity on this show. So I'm getting them out. Uh, But look, there's definitely some potential for this to bang when it goes down. I'm really curious to see how it ultimately gets executed and if it delivers to the level that I think it might just because of these guys' size and the explosiveness of Breaker. That adds an element here that could get really interesting. Ivy Nile fought Ava. This was Ava's second TV match. Schism and their minions surrounded the ring. Ivy countered Ava into the headlock sleeper for a relatively inappropriately quick win. A bunch of folks jumped on the apron, so Ivy put Ava back in the headlock, almost like a hostage, and beat on a few of them until two guys grabbed Ava and carried her out to safety. It seemed like it was the Creed brothers, but it wasn't as obvious as it normally has been when the Creed brothers are in the masks. Obviously the right winner, a strange bit of booking for this to end flatly and be that short. 
Maybe not a good idea to put a true developmental match on a special show like this. Now, I assumed the storyline would be the Creed's keeping Ava captive until Schism reverses the stipulation. Not that it's their call. So not that long later, Ava cut a promo from her phone thanking the Schism brothers for saving her and saying Ivy failed at her mission. She showed what I presume was supposed to be the Schism tree in the background, saying Ivy knew where to find her. How exactly would Ivy know where to find the Schism tree? And why is Ava talking shit when she just got her ass squashed in two minutes? Anyway, like 20 minutes after that, Ivy shows up at this place that she's supposed to know. Ava wants the help of the guys to protect her. And of course, it is indeed the Creed. So Ivy attacks Ava. The Creed's then cut a promo into the camera saying they were basically kidnapping her unless they get a steel cage match next week with the stipulation of them being reinstated to NXT on the line. Schism later cut their own promo, agreeing to the match and promising to end it once and for all. Again, how does Schism have the power to grant that stipulation of that match? That's something that the parties would have needed to agree to with Shawn Michaels or someone from NXT approving it. But now they're banned. So Schism, it's not up to Schism. It's up to NXT to put that stipulation into play. We never got any confirmation that that match was approved. I thought it was weird. As you can tell, basically none of this worked for me on Tuesday night. I thought it was the low part of the entire show. it, It was illogical. And the assumption since the stipulation happened was that something like this would go down with the Creed's returning. But the entire deal just feels really sloppily put together and lacking justification. I'm really just ready for this to be over. Schism was going pretty well for a period of time, but it's back into that zone of like, I just really don't want it on my screen. Uh, Dijak got a promo package saying Eddie Thorpe had seven days to become one with the spirits before he breaks his body and spirit next week. Fine promo, but back in the typical 90s movie villain mode. Thea Hale threw a fit backstage last week after her loss. JC Jane gave her credit for improving over the last year, and she said, like her, JC has been let down by people in NXT. JC said Thea will get through it because people like them are survivors. Really interesting dynamic between the two. Thea was kind of being a little bit heelish. JC was being a little bit like a baby face. I was really not expecting that at all. I'm not sure I want them as a tag team, but I'm definitely open to seeing where that storyline goes. It is intriguing. And lastly, Miles Bourne approached Drew Gulak during a training session, letting him know that he was tired after doing every bit of work Gulak asked him to do around the facility. So Charlie Dempsey jumped on his back and tapped him out in a rear naked choke with Gulak yelling, they don't get tired. It sure seems like these three plus Damon Kemp are going to do a catch point, but it's been terribly slow developing. They don't really seem to have a place on the card, and I'm not exactly sure what they're trying to accomplish by creating this group. It doesn't have a lot of energy or enthusiasm behind it. And that, folks, is everything that went down this past Tuesday at NXT Heatwave. Obviously, we still have No Mercy way in the future, so no specific build to anything on that card, but I did find NXT for the second straight week to be an immensely entertaining episode. You'll remember probably three weeks ago, I was really disappointed for the first time in a long time with what we got from NXT, but they are right back on track. It was a fantastic episode. The two hours completely flew by. And one of the things I love most about watching NXT is the show starts and maybe you're doing a little work while you're watching or frequently I'm eating dinner while I'm watching. And all of a sudden you look up and it's like 8.50 and you're like, holy crap, so much has happened already. I can't believe there's still another hour and 20 minutes left of this show. And that's what happened to me this week. I I looked up at like 8.50 and I was like, wow, I already have like 
six different segments and things have developed and we got a great match with Trick and Ilya Dragunov and I know what's to come. So man, Shawn Michaels is doing a fantastic job. You know, that Booker of the Year conversation, we're not that far off. We're entering the fall and obviously the winter comes after that with the end of the year. Shawn Michaels is going to have a case. I'm not saying he's going to run away with it or he's going to be the winner, but in the three-man race, four-man race, if you want to include Gato, of Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Tony Khan, and Gato, I mean, if you want to talk about consistency on a week-to-week basis, I don't know that as of right now, anyone is doing a better job than HBK. It's impressive what NXT has become in this white and gold era, and the influx of main roster talent has been really a breath of fresh air, I think, for taking NXT back to what it used to be, not just when it comes to developmental, but when it comes to having some of those main roster superstars come down, have excursions, get into, you know, usually one week, but sometimes two, three, four, five week types of feuds. It's really cool what they're doing. And I got to tell you, when it comes to like a weekly watch, I am always looking forward to NXT on Tuesday nights. And I can't really necessarily say that about any of the four other major shows. There's some weeks where I'm just tired and Raw comes on Monday night. And I'm like, oh man, I got to do three hours of this or it's Friday and I got home late. I'm at, I was out previously and I have to catch up on SmackDown. And it's kind of tough to get through. There's weeks obviously where Dynamite or Collision can be a complete slog. But NXT every week, with the exception of the one I had a problem with a few weeks ago, it really just consistently delivers. And it's great. And, and it, it, it bothers me to some degree that more people don't watch it because I remember how popular NXT was in the black and gold era especially when it was on the WWE Network. And I think people who liked the wrestling then, they may not be fans of it where they watch it every single week now, but they should be people who DVR the show and fast forward to the parts they like at a minimum. Anyway, as you can tell, I was thrilled with what we got from NXT Heatwave, and I appreciate all of you listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. A reminder, already in the can, we have our WWE episode from Tuesday this week coming up on Thursday. AEW All-In Ultimate Preview, and of course this weekend, AEW All-In Instant Analysis. Next week, we will be having Ultimate Previews and Instant Analysis for WWE Payback and AEW All-Out. And on this Wednesday show next week, I will do my damnedest to cover NJPWG1 Climax in addition to the NXT episode that we normally talk about. So on the way out, some reminders as always first that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about the five. Leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you take time and leave a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts, as you know, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that. And if you already follow us, be sure to share our tweets, retweet us, quote tweet us, whatever the case might be. Get us out there. We want to continue growing that account. Please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for five bucks a month, you can become an official getting overhead. Visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. You get bonus audio news posts and your money goes directly to supporting the show and keeping it operational. Thank you all so much for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We will be back for the third out of four shows on Thursday. But at this point, it is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.